Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. Is being mentally tough a healthy habit for success? This is our habits show today, where we walk through the seven spokes in the Ziggler Wheel of Life and hear the healthy habits of our guests, which this time it is Alan Stein, high-performance coach known for his work with pro basketball players and author of Raise Your Game. In show 655, we dug into his message and primarily focused on the massive value and necessity of self-awareness. Well, on that note, reviewing his healthy habits was profound. I was intrigued with his commentary on mental toughness and the reality that we can control, all we can control, really, is our attitude and effort. And that goes even for NBA pro athletes. You can get the book and connect with Alan at raiseyourgamebook.com or wherever you buy books. Uh, Though at his site, you can get a free preview right away as well. So, hey, we're going to dive in with Alan right after I share some great resources. Okay, here we go with Alan Stein and his healthy habits for success. Okay, well, the habits show here in these spokes, the first one is always physical nutrition. Of course, always interesting to talk about this with uh, a guy like you who spends their lives with guys at the top of physical nutrition. So this has got to be one that's always kind of acute, maybe even in your industry, uh, somewhat of a given. Yeah, somewhat of one. And it's always been one that I've had high interest in and high fascination with. So, uh, and, and I consider myself uh, somewhat of a guinea pig. Like I, I like trying a lot of different things. I try different uh, workout programs and methodologies. I try different diets. You know, I mean, uh, I'm a 43-year-old father of three, a private business owner, a speaker, you know, so I, I need to have high energy and I need to be able to perform well, keeping up with my kids and my travel life and so forth. Uh, but I've just always been fascinated with, with nutrition and working out. And I I try lots of different things to see what makes me feel the best, look the best and perform the best. Those are my three pillars. And, uh, I'm, I'm happy to share with you guys what I'm, I'm currently on right now. Tell me what the day looks like in Alan's world on the physical nutrition side, please. Well, I've actually been toying with uh, intermittent fasting for the past, uh, it's been about four months now, and I actually use an app. I just got this app a month ago. It's called Zero, uh, and it helps track, and I'm on an intermittent fasting program where I only eat during a six-hour window, Uh, so I really only eat between noon and six, uh, and then the rest of the time, I'm I'm just drinking water, and uh, that is incredibly on the other end of the spectrum to what I used to do. I used to eat I would graze and eat little snacks and meals all the time. I'd eat six, seven, eight times a day. I'd eat from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed. And uh, I just, I'm really enjoying the intermittent fasting. Uh, one of the interesting things is uh, for me, because it's, it's not so much about weight management. That's not an issue for me, uh, although that does work for those that are interested. Uh, the mental clarity that I've had, I, I've improved my sleep my focus, my mental clarity. I mean, as we're recording this right now, I have not eaten in 19 hours, which I know is, you know, I'm not on par with Gandhi or anything like that, but for most people, that's a long time to go without food. And I feel as clear Mm -hmm. and as focused as I've ever felt. So for me, uh, it's been a neat experiment. And then when I do eat, uh, my rules for food are, I try to eat things with as minimal ingredients as possible. Uh, So I try not to eat a lot of processed food. You know, you know what's in a sweet potato? Uh, a sweet potato. That's it. You know what's in a piece of chicken? Uh, a piece of chicken. That's it. Minus, you know, any things that you put on top of it, as opposed to uh, you get a box of wheat thins and you look on the side and there's 78 little ingredients, most of which you can't pronounce yeah. or know what they are. Yeah. So I try to eat 
fresh, natural food, only eat in that window. Cause I, I don't like living by a lot of rules, but from a nutrition standpoint, uh, that's been working well. Uh, I try to take a hot yoga class two to three times a week, which just is dependent on my travel schedule. When I'm home, it's a given three times a week. Uh, and then I do some uh, body weight strength exercises, push-ups and pull-ups and lunges um, to kind of round that out. And that's about it. And, and so it doesn't take up a tremendous amount of time of what I'm doing, but it's one of the areas that I've been the most consistent in my life, that I've, I've maintained a pretty high level of fitness ever since I was a child. And, uh, but I've got it down now where it's, it's just a part of what I do and who I am. Next spoke family and friends, and I know you are a devoted father to three kiddos. Uh, so, that, but this this includes what you do for the the key relationships in your life to keep them well. What are the consistent investments and habits? Well, one important thing to note is, and I, I lead with this all the time because it's something I'm actually proud of. I'm very amicably divorced, uh, and those are usually not two words that people say in the same sentence. Uh, my ex-wife and I, we get along great. Uh, we've maintained a nice friendship. We make excellent co-parents. Yes, I am the proud father of eight-year-old twin sons and a six-year-old daughter. And uh, I mean, of course, that's brought its challenges, you know, being a co-parent. You know, I live about 15 minutes away, uh, but we've, we've ironed out a great parenting schedule. I have my kids on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and then every other weekend. And my goal with my kids, it's not about quantity of time. It's about quality of time. And I've taken a page out of, I've heard this attributed to both Nick Saban and Oprah Winfrey, two people that know what they're doing. Uh, and that's the concept of be where your feet are, uh, which is the short definition of be in the present moment. And that's my number one goal for my children and for relationships is when I'm with my kids, I work really hard to be with my kids. I try not to get distracted by work or, or looking at my phone. And, you know, I'm certainly far from perfect. I'm fallible like everybody listening to this. So I've had my good days and my bad days. But since I only have them on Tuesdays and Thursdays and every other weekend, uh, I try to make sure that when I'm with them, I'm with them. And then I take care of everything else in my life on the days that I don't have them. And that compartmentalized schedule actually works pretty well for me. And, and I've been able to build a, a very solid and deep connection with my kids. And I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for that. Next one then is mental. And my gosh, this is one that I would assume from your standpoint of working in the industry that you do is probably a little more acute, uh, than for most, because when you've got guys out there on the court and there's millions uh, of dollars on the table, the mental strength. We hear that. We probably talk about that. Yeah. With sports more than any other arena of mental strength, mental toughness. So I assume that this is a little more in your face and I'm curious to hear what the things are that you employ for your own mental well-being. I define mental toughness as the ability to stay in the present moment and, and, and be free of distraction. And that's incredibly hard to do in a day and age where we're bombarded by digital distractions all of the time. Uh, but there's two things that I put my focus on to improve my own uh, mental toughness, if you will. One is I have a, a mentality of next play. Uh, I don't ever worry about what just happened. I worry about what's going to happen next because it's the only thing I can have any control over. So if, if something in my life good happens or something in my life bad happens, you know, I want to learn the lesson from it and move on but it's over. So I, I don't spend very much time uh, focused on dwelling or worrying about the past when I'm at my you know, mental strongest, uh, mentally strongest. And then the other is I put my, my effort and my focus and, and my attention into the only two things that I have 100% control over. 
And that is my effort and my attitude. Those are the only two things I can control. You know, I don't have hardly any control over everything else going on in the world. I mean, there's certain things that are in my sphere of influence, uh, but the vast majority of what happens in this world, I don't control. So all I can do is control my response or my reaction or how I'm going to handle feedback. And I try to use everything in a way that moves me forward and serves me. So when something good happens, I try to take from it what I can and learn how to, to repeat that. When something bad happens, I try to learn the lesson from it so I don't repeat that and, and move forward. So for me, uh, the constant daily trigger of reminding myself, be where your feet are, focus on the next play, and outside of your own effort and attitude, don't really worry about much. Well, and I got to make a call out to the book, Raise Your Game, which folks, we talked through some key aspects of that in show 655 with Alan, but you talk specifically to some of those things, the next play, the effort and attitude are the only things you control. And I appreciate how you put those into real life scenarios with real people, with real things on the line. And uh, again, encourage folks, go in there and uh, get the book, study up on what he has shared with us. Uh, well, four, and this comes again right out of that main interview that we did at the end of the show. And I ask you, what are some areas you're working on for shoring up your own, raising your own game in essence? And you said financial and that you have in the recent future here employed some new things for the better. So tell us what's happened on the financial spoke. For sure. It, it took me a while to get to the point to have the full acknowledgement that the financial spoke was by far the biggest performance gap that I had, um, that, that my career was going well, I was making good money, but I was not using my money as wisely as possible. You know, with any type of currency, whether it's money or whether it's attention and time, there's three things we can do with it. We can invest it, we can spend it, or we can waste it. And clearly, by the way, I've positioned those three. Most people realize that whether it's time or money, we should probably be you know, investing as much of it as we can and wasting as little of it as we can. And there have been times in my life where I've had a track record of unfortunately doing the reverse yeah. of those two things and not being as wise uh, with my financial, uh, you know, as I should be. And, you know, what, what's really heightened that is the fact that, you know, it's not about me anymore. I mean, I have children, you know, it's what, what I'm doing financially is going to impact them. And, you know, this is not about trying to accumulate a ton of wealth that I'm going to give to my kids. You know, I'm hoping the most important gift I give them is modeling for them the skill sets that they need to be happy, uh, fulfilled, contributing citizens to this world when they're older. Even if I were to never give them a dime, I would hope that I've given them the tools to be happy and significant and successful. Uh, but generally speaking, you know, from a financial standpoint, money can provide freedom and money can alleviate a lot of problems and anxiety if used correctly. And, you know, uh, there's lots of people that think money is evil and I don't believe that. I believe money can be a tool to do a tremendous amount of good in this world. You know, uh, what you choose to put your money towards maybe determines whether or not it's good or bad. But, you know, I know a lot of folks that do incredibly well financially and they do a lot of good in the world, you know, uh, with philanthropy and, and donations and so forth. So, um, I, I basically said, look, I've had my entire life to get my financial act together and I have not done a great job with that. I need a coach. I need someone to help me. And I hired a financial advisor that has been amazing. And he's put some very basic practice, helped me put some very basic practices in place. And uh, the, the turnaround I've made just in the last six months 
has been phenomenal and I'm incredibly thankful. And, and I chuckle and, and I hope your audience chuckles too, because there's not a single thing that he's told me to do that I didn't already know. Mm-hmm. They were just a list of things that I was not doing. And now he serves as an accountability partner to say, okay, Alan, b- between now and our next call, I need you to do these three things. And I give him my commitment to do them and come hell or high water, I'll make sure they're done the next time we talk. And because of that, um, I won't list the specifics, but I've made some great strides and set the, the platform to make sure that moving forward, I'm not going to go down the same path that I was going before. So I, I feel so much better now. Well, and I, I appreciate how that speaks to what we spent a good time in the first show talking about our need for counsel, our need for coaching, and especially those areas in our lives we need to shore up. Next one, fifth spoke is spiritual. Tell us what's going on in the spiritual side of your life. I don't know if your listeners have heard of the Headspace guided meditation app, but I, I know, uh, I know of it for sure. I love it. And, and the reason I bring it up is, uh, this morning was my 571st consecutive day of following 10 minute guided meditation on Headspace. And wow. uh, I love the gamification. I mean, it, it keeps your street going. Um, but it's, it's something you know, meditation was another one. People have been telling me for years that, that med- there's, there's tremendous benefit in meditation. And one, it always just felt a little too foo-foo for me. Yeah. Um, coming from the sports world, there was something about it that didn't resonate. And to be honest, sitting alone in pure quiet with my own thoughts was really uncomfortable for me. And that was what flipped the light switch. And I said, you know what? I shouldn't need constant stimulation at all times. I shouldn't need to either be talking to someone or looking at a screen or doing something. I should be able just to be at peace and have some calm and mindfulness just sitting by myself in quiet. And and it actually bothered me that I couldn't do that. So that was my, my impetus for starting headspace and, it's been tremendous. It's, it's part of my morning ritual. I have a 30 minute morning routine that I follow every morning and 10 of the 30 minutes is on headspace. And it just allows me to start uh, my day in a very grounded, mindful and aware way. And yeah, there's peaks and valleys. There's some mornings where I listen, where I'm highly focused and highly attuned and highly aware. And then there's other times in that 10 minutes, my mind drifts 52 times in 10 minutes. Uh, but it's the consistency of practice. So um, I'm not a, a, a hugely spiritual person in general. So that's the mindfulness and my connecting to self every morning is, is how I define it. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Six is career. And you're obviously here as a result, uh, a lot of the career that you chose and that you have a a passion for, but today it's obviously grown and now you're not on the court as much or working with those guys as much. And you're, you're speaking and sharing what you have learned, what you've experienced. What are the things that you do to somewhat harness your career and know, you know, what opportunities to say yes to, what to say no to, and to keep it where you need it to be? I love the way you just position the say yes and the say no to, because that, that used to be a struggle of mine as well. Uh, I'm a people pleaser by nature. Uh, I love saying yes because I love serving other people. Uh, but as I got older, uh, I, I learned that I needed to protect my time more and that every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And you need to make sure that you look at both sides of that coin, that if I say yes to going and speaking at this event, then I could potentially be saying no to the time I'm supposed to spend with my children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's not out of judgment. There are times where that actually is okay to say yes to, and I should do that. 
then there's other times where I shouldn't, but I'm much more in control of the yes or no in that paradigm now. Uh, but what's interesting with my career, I mean, I spent 20 years in basketball, working mostly with, with youth and high school age. And then two years ago, I decided to make a very distinct pivot, pun intended, uh, to go to the corporate space. And uh, the reason for doing that, I was just ready for a new challenge. I was ready for to do something different. Um, you know, as, as many of your listeners might be able to appreciate, you know, I spent most of my time with 15 to 18 year old male basketball players and uh, I wasn't developing or growing as a man the way that I wanted to. I was pouring into them and I took a lot of pride in doing that. Uh, but now that I'm on the corporate side and I'm getting a chance to be around people like yourself where, you know, I'm learning every bit as much from this conversation as hopefully you and your listeners are, that's really what's gotten me excited. And, and I go speak at events and I'm very thankful to share what I've learned, but I also listen to the other speakers or I, I have these extensive calls before I go speak and I'm learning so much. So it's really taking my own development to another level and then just pivoted the things that I'm so passionate about to a new audience. So I'm still talking about the same stuff. I'm just talking about them to people more my age and in the corporate space instead of to, to teenagers in the basketball space. And that shift in audience has really reignited my fire and, and spark. Last one, personal. And this is the, of course, we would say it's all personal, but these are the things that you do just for you, the fun, uh, a hobby, whatever it may be that just gives you joy, fun, play. You know, I'm probably going to sound like a bonehead with my answer because my answer is I enjoy watching things on Netflix. And before anyone <laughs> yeah. judges and thinks I'm, I'm watching just mindless stuff, there's a few things that I watch specifically. One, I really enjoy documentaries just as a, as a genre. I find documentaries to be incredibly fascinating, and I intentionally try to watch them in things outside of my normal scope. You know, I've been fairly one dimensional my whole life because I've lived in a basketball bubble. So I try to watch things outside of that. I also watch a lot of stand up comedy. Uh, one, I love to laugh. I don't know anyone that doesn't enjoy laughing. But as a professional orator myself, I learned so much from watching stand up comedians. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think they are the epitome of being a professional speaker because it's just them and a mic. And they've got an audience of people that have the expectation of laughing. And that's what they have to do to deliver. They don't have PowerPoint, you know, except for Carrot Top. They don't have any props. They just have to do it with spoken word. And, you know, I study their staging and their blocking. I study their body language. I study their facial expression, their physicality, their tonality, how they pause, all of that stuff. And so while I'm, I'm enjoying the content and laughing, I'm also learning from them on how I can improve my craft as a speaker. And then lastly, I do watch and will occasionally binge watch certain shows, uh, but I have a fascination with cinematography and with writing and with acting and, and the ways that things are put together. So I'm watching a show and I'm not just watching it for the entertainment value. I'm trying to figure out why did they decide to shoot it from this angle or why did they, and, and that stuff, it, it just, uh, I just get a lot of enjoyment out of that. So part of my evening routine, usually for about 30 to 60 minutes is I'll watch one of those three things on Netflix as a way to unwind, unplug my brain, but, but pique my curiosity and fascination with some of these domains that I really enjoy. That is, uh, that is interesting. You're speaking to the comedy thing. We, uh, through the Ziegler family got to spend some time doing some events with Michael jr. Uh, comedian watching him on and off the stage behind the scenes and spending some time and seeing 
the mastery that he had of his lines, of his delivery of that. It, it kind of, yeah, it, it wrecked that theory of, Oh, he's just a naturally funny guy. No matter where you put him, no matter how he's going to be on and just making jokes, man, that is, he is a well learned and trained guy. It was, uh, so I appreciate you saying that it speaks, I think to all of us of our need to, yeah, to master what we're doing. Absolutely. Uh, there's sure. actually, a, you know, in addition to your podcast, which I know everyone listening loves, there's a podcast called, I think it's called Good One. And they basically take comedians and they take one of their more famous jokes and they play it. And then they sit down with the comedian for 30 to 40 minutes and have them break down the joke or the bit wow. and talk about where it came from. And I mean, everything. And then you realize, I just listened to one recently, um, Sebastian Maniscalco, uh, who's, who's a big time comedian now. I think he grossed the most money from a comedy tour last year than anyone ever. Uh, but it was talking about one of his bits and it is what you just said so perfectly. Sometimes we just think, you know, wow, these guys are just so funny. They just jump on stage and grab a mic and boy, we're all laughing. And you don't realize how much precision and care and thought and meaning there is into everything they do. I mean, every eyebrow raise and every movement and every syllable has been worked to perfection. And, you know, I love the fact that he lives in California, Sebastian does, and he talks about, you know, he gets an idea for a joke and he runs it by one of his childhood friends and they bounce it off each other. And then he starts to formulate a joke and then he just goes to the comedy shop in LA and asks if he can get on stage for a couple of minutes and he tries some stuff out and then he sees how the audience reacts to it and he takes notes and then he comes back a couple nights later and tweaked it and tries it a little dip and he keeps doing that and doing that until he has what he feels is a pretty good joke. And then he takes that on tour with him. And then by the end of that season, whatever's left is what will go in his next Netflix special. Wow. But just the process of it has started as a thought and a year and a half later, it's now on a Netflix special is pretty awesome. That is, that is immense. And again, speaks to your overall message of raising our game by getting counsel knowing what we don't know. Uh, again, man, thank you. Thanks for taking us behind the scenes and sharing uh, the realities of what you do day in and day out to raise your own game. It's been a gift, Alan. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for everything. Well, there you go, folks. Behind the scenes in Alan Stein's healthy habits. I'm ruminating once again on his statement of when saying yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else, something I know well, but man, I don't follow that very, very well either. Uh, it's not a strong point for me. Well, hey, you can get the book and again, connect with Alan at raiseyourgamebook.com or wherever you buy books. Though again, at his site, you can get a free preview of the book right away. Okay. Coming up next in show six, five, eight, we ask, how does simply tracking your daily activities affect your overall success? The answer well, it's massive as with most positive improvement, actually all the point is brain training, trying to get our brains to make the right decisions, do what we truly want to do. So we're all looking for ways to manage ourselves in essence. So, uh, here we're talking about daily tracking. We're not talking massive goals planning here. We're dumbing it down to the ridiculously simple that 
none of us can deny is easily possible. Anything in your life where you want health and success, if you will just make a daily note of what you did in that area, track it, you will improve. Why? As you'll hear in the show, it increases your awareness, accountability, and motivation. Again, just simply noting down what you did, even if it's nothing, you'll see it and it will give you conscious and subconscious fuel to do something the next day. So I kicked this discussion off with a clip from Zig Ziglar on this issue. The clip's not even a minute and a half. And uh, he quickly mentions how to increase your sales and weight loss again, just by tracking. So from the message, I posted this question on Facebook in your goals and pursuits and growth. How are you measuring or tracking your progress and results? Uh, Zig Ziglar's son and CEO of Ziglar and my dear friend, Tom Ziglar, joined me to talk through all the incredible comments till then folks. Thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. Mm-hmm.